Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 98 for February of 2020. This is Pete. Eric is with us, and we don't have Garrett because we're recording at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and Garrett is on the West Coast still safely tucked into bed. The reason we're recording so early is that we have a special guest. We have Bree Poland. Bree, why don't you tell us where you're at now and what you've been up to and how you got into the motorcycle business? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm with Royal Enfield Americas, not just North America. I am the lead uh, marketing director for everything from Canada all the way down to the very tip of Argentina <laughs> uh, with a very small team. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the, the extension of the Americas outside of North America happened around June. So it's been a, a really busy uh, six months to say the least. Um, right now the Americas is headquartered outside of or inside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we opened up our offices about five years ago. Now people will say, but I've seen Royal Enfields, you know, in the nineties and the early two thousands. And yes, you're correct, but that was through an independent distributor. When we got taken over by Isher Motors and Sid Law became the CEO, one of his main initiatives was to make Royal Enfield a global company again. And he enlisted uh, the help of Rod Copes, who is our current president, on, I think it was around 2013, they started talking. And around 2014, Rod was the only employee for the first year. And we spent 2015 really hiring all the staff, all the employees, coming up with the procedures, taking over from distribution with our current, with the independent distributor. In 2016, we essentially started with zero dealers, and as of today, I'm happy to say we have 111 across North America. That's a pretty good feat, considering we are that small niche brand in North America with limited resources and a limited budget. <laughs> so that's kind of a quick snapshot. <laughs> and, and what is your personal background? How did you oh. get into motorcycling in general and the industry as a career? Well, that's always been the industry I've been in. And when I was 17 or 18, I yes, I was modeling for motorsports publications. And I was hired to help hospitality and be the umbrella girl for the AMA road racing uh, paddock for the Corona Suzuki team. So if you know anything about racing, the Corona Suzuki team was one of the ones that got a lot of attention. We had the right uh, race rig look we had the crazy livery we had the parties every weekend so it was the fun team to work for and I stayed with that team for about eight years so I started in hospitality and I was the umbrella girl and then I took over marketing press releases media relations and then um, through some really weird circumstances I ended up owning my own professional road racing team and I was the first female that solely uh, owned a race team all on our own for a couple years, and we won multiple championships in the super sport class. We even got uh, Ducati their first uh, super sport win in the Daytona sport bike class. So it was a fun and wild ride. Um, so I was in racing up until Royal Enfield called me, and they said, hey, we have this position open. Uh, we think you'd be a great fit. And I, I, I love the brand, but I really loved – uh, what I was doing with racing, but I knew that, you know, racing was kind of a failing sport. Unfortunately, we lost live TV coverage. 
you know, we were seeing only through the internet and our sponsors weren't happy. I was having to use a lot of my savings to keep the fun, to keep the teams going, you know, to make sure that the mechanics and the the truck was taken care of. And it's just, it was financially tolling. So I thought about it for a couple months and I said, you know what, why not uh, sell everything, leave Washington, D.C. and move to the cheese state? Bree, you and I know a lot of the same people. Um, I covered the AMA Superbike Series from directly with my old website from 2000 to about 2003, and then with my podcast from 06 to 09. So uh, the Corona team was a great example of results don't matter. Good hospitality, good marketing, good presentation <laughs> is everything. Because where other teams had no money to race, the Corona team at least had money to race. Didn't matter yep. that they finished 12th, 14th. Um, but you know what? Sponsors were happy, and that's that was the biggest lesson uh, that I that I learned about motorsports right there. Oh, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that was the case. You know, you're right. We didn't win every race for sure. We had some success, even but played. yeah, yeah well, we didn't. But ev- everyone came to us in the paddock. We were a place of refuge for all the other teams. We were a place for all sponsors to come hang out and see what's really happening. And it was. You know, at the end of a stressful weekend, it was really nice to host parties on a Sunday night for everybody in the paddock. So we welcomed everybody, and it was, you know, it was it was a great experience for us. I miss those days. Why? Why do you think it is that motorcycle racing in general has never had the popularity in North America that it has in Europe and Japan and other places around the world? So I think in North America, motorcycling is a hobby. It's not a way of life. In Europe and Asia and South America, all these places that I go to monthly for work, you grow up on a motorcycle or a scooter. You grow up because it's necessity. You can't afford a car. Fuel's too expensive. So motorcycling is part of your blood. It's it's a force part of your blood, and you just become with, obsessed with all aspects of it. Where in North America, we have options to so many hobbies, and we might have a more money to spend. So we can choose jet skiing, we can choose motorcycling, we can choose kayaking or crazy overland adventures. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that it's never taken off is kids don't grow up with it. And my dad put me on a, on a dirt bike when I was really young, but the generation following mine and all the ones to follow, it's really hard to get, you know, companies to continue making small bikes or them marketing parents to get kids on small bikes. And I think Strider's doing a great job, but how do you make that transition from a Strider bike to a, you know, a little PW50 or something like that? And we're not pushing that. We're not marketing that to parents and showing that it, it's, yes, it's motorcycling. People can consider it dangerous, but it's, it also can be safe and fun. And I don't think we're doing a good job at introducing motorcycling at a, at a younger age. Let's talk a little bit about Royal Enfield, because you kind of hitched your wagon to a very rising star. I mean, with the introduction of the 650 twins, their profile and just the, I don't know what the, I guess street cred has gone up so much. Regardless of what your sales are, the buzz or the acceptance of Royal Enfield has just skyrocketed in the past, probably what, 18 months? And a lot of people who wouldn't have considered owning one when you were joining the company are really enthusiastic about your current product offerings. Uh, was that something that you saw coming or was that just a really nice coincidence? I think people really just want 
to have a motorcycle that's fun and accessible. And I think the 650 twins are that motorcycle. It's, it's easy. You know, the, the purchase price is not going to hurt your wallet. You can do all the other, other activities you want to do. Um, there's not a million electronics in order to be able to ride your motorcycle. You turn on the ignition switch you, and you go and you just, you know, put on the throttle. You don't have to press. 12 buttons to get the computer working. Uh, and I think the excitement really started building when we introduced the Himalayan. Um, and that is our small or middleweight CC adventure bike. And that's our first breakaway from really the classic retro styled street bikes. And initially that wasn't even supposed to come uh, to the U S and myself and the president Rod Copes put together a business case. And I had two carbureted Himalayans sent to the U.S. And I invited some journalists. I invited all of our existing dealers. I worked with local uh, riding groups in Milwaukee, and I rode with them every day for three weeks. And finally, two years later, he said, okay, okay, Brian, you got what you want. You guys can bring the Himalayan into the U.S. And I think the adventure motorcycling segment is one of the fastest growing segments, but people don't want to spend the price tag for what some other OEMs are selling adventure bikes for. And they don't need the large CCs. So the Himalayan, I think, was really one of the first things that we've done as Royal Enfield that has gotten us uh, some street cred. And then a year after, we were able to release the the twins. So it's been a crazy 18 months, like you said, <laughs> and the attention that we're receiving as a brand, it's all positive. It's I, as you can tell, I'm extremely passionate about Royal Enfield and the opportunities that we have across the Americas. And it's really nice to see all the positive feedback we're getting from customers and dealers. And they just can't wait to see what we're coming out with next. <laughs> you touched on something there. And I want to, if this is part of the appeal you see is, is a couple of things, I guess. One, you're hitting the your growth here in the U.S. right at a time when retro is retro's mainstream now. Uh, it was, you know, it was cool and hip five years ago, but now it's kind of mainstream. And then two, the other thing you kind of touched on is it's in that sweet spot where people don't look at it with the size of the, with the engines and the twins at 650 of like, Oh, it's just a little toy, but it's also not so big that it's intimidating. I think you just nailed the intimidating factor uh, really well. There are people that, you know, have left motorcycling for years and, you know, their kids have left the house and they just want to get back into it. And they just want something that they don't, have to think too hard to get on. You know, if their wife's still unsure, their husband's still unsure that they want, you know, their partner back in motorcycling, you know, a $5,900 price tag isn't that bad. And it's a way to step your toes into it. It's also a way to get new riders in. They don't have to go out and take a massive loan. And it's not just about the CCs. You're right. It's about the price point. It's about the ease of working it on. If you're 200 miles away from your closest dealer, can you do a simple oil change or a valve adjustment? Yes, you can. You don't need to go to, you know, the Motorcycle Institute and, and learn how to work on a Royal Enfield. So it, 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 it makes motorcycling easier. It, it's funny you mentioned the price on that. It's like, yeah, a 650 Royal Enfield is less than a 300cc Vespa. <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> to put things, right? Yeah, you know, just because I, I think those are like 8000 bucks. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's... How are the 650s doing in the larger Americas outside of the United States? Because I know the 350 bullet has a reputation in rural places around the world of, of kind of being a very practical utilitarian tractor for people who just need transportation. Are people outside the United States embracing the 650 twins like they are here? 
I, well, as I said earlier, I look over the Americas, so that's really the sales numbers that I really look at. I do see what Australia is doing and Europe's doing because we have internal competitions with each other. Um, just about two and a half weeks ago, I was in Brazil with my team down there, and we just launched the 650 Twins. It was two, you know, a year later after us, um, a year and a half later after India launched it, and we've sold out of them already in Brazil. So we're waiting on our next shipment. And that's in the, in the indicator that we're doing. We are launching uh, the twins in Mexico in about a month and a half, hopefully, if all goes well. So I'll get back to you on that. In Colombia, the, the sales for the 650 twins are doing, I would say, okay. Uh, the Himalayan is still the top seller in most of our markets in the Americas. It's that adventure motorcycle segment that everyone gets into and they want a commuter bike, but they also want something that they can do weekend adventures on. So, Hopefully over the next year, we'll see the twin sales uh, creep up past the Himalayan. But right now, the Himalayan is still holding the strongest in the America's markets. The twins, it's selling fantastic in Europe. That's the perfect bag for every European, apparently. It's the third top-selling motorcycle period um, in the UK right now. And that's not just for its class, but just overall. That is remarkable because they didn't have a stellar reputation for quality with the 350s. <laughs> and, I mean, they were considered durable but maintenance-intensive, if I can phrase it that way. And it seems from everything that I've read and people I've talked to, and I'm fortunate that I have a local Enfield dealer not too far from me, that the quality of the 650s is a dramatic step up. And uh, the Himalayan as well, uh, but really the the 650s is what's changing a lot of people's minds about Enfield quality. Are you running into people who are are still resistant to the brand, or is that something that the word has gotten out that, no, these are better? So when we first opened up offices, uh, I I will say that quality and quality perception were maybe an issue for many people, whether it was a, a potential dealer or customers. And you know, just to give a little backstory on that, from the 1950s when they started manufacturing motorcycles until about 2011, 2012, it was the same factory with the same tooling, the same machines and everything. So nothing was upgraded. So anything that was brought into the U.S. or sold anywhere before that time, it was with outdated technologies. So there might be perceptions of, hey, this bike doesn't have any updated technology. It's not modern. There might have been some quality things that could have been worked on. Since that time, we've opened three new factories since 2013, and it's state-of-the-art. It's on par, if not better, than some of those other motorcycle manufacturers out there. It's amazing to see what they've invested in as far as factory and manufacturing. We have someone that we brought in from Japan that is known as a quality person and oversees the quality, and we go through so many different quality checks before the motorcycles even go to start of sale. And the bigger emphasis was during the start of the production of the twins. People are saying, man, the 650 twins, the, the quality of those twins, the, uh, you know, just the welds on the pipes, just the, you know, the paint and the wiring and everything. It's just big step above, even above the Himalayan. Because every year we improve our quality metrics or um, what we're expecting in terms of quality. Uh, so I would say that. The standard that we're going to hold everything to now, we've just talked about this. Uh, The CEO and the CFO were um, from India were visiting us during the Twins launch of Brazil. And everything moving forward is going to be Twins quality or better. That's our new saying. So anything that we manufacture going forward is it has to be Twins quality or even better than that. 
And but it was a struggle. I will tell you, five years, you know, dealing with people that have maybe read a negative review or thought we only had the old factory, educating people and getting them on the motorcycles to show that we are improving quality every time we produce a new motorcycle. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the marketing efforts that you are currently involved in, because I think that Enfield's doing some really innovative stuff. We've on this podcast and a whole bunch of other people have done a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking about how you need to market motorcycles to the current generation. And there's been a lot of, frankly, not real intelligent talk about what manufacturers need to do to get millennials and teens today interested in motorcycles and and what some of the root of that is. I'm looking at the, some of the initiatives that I've been seeing you do on social media. You're really kind of not worrying about that, just getting engaged with people. So why don't you talk about your current marketing efforts? Oh, wow. Okay. Where do we start? So you have to do the basics, right? You have to do traditional advertising. You have to do, you know, SEO and keywords to reach out to people that maybe don't even know about the brand and, but they're searching for attractive motorcycles and an attractive price point with lower CCs. So you do all the basics, but then you want to do stuff that really gets your Royal Enfields in the hands of people. And how do you do that? And there's multiple ways. And we have five target demographics. We've got new riders and that's anyone from 16 to 80 that has never rode a motorcycle before. Then you have women riders. Then you have people that are um, heritage based motorcycle owners or want to be. So they have, you know, an affection or an affinity for the Royal Enfields of the past and their dad might've rode a Royal Enfield or their grandfather. So you target that audience Then you target returning motorcycle owners, so people that have given up motorcycling for whatever reasons and want to get back into it. And then second bike owners, so someone might own a bigger bike from a different OEM, but they want to get around the city. So each campaign and each project that we do has to fall within one of those five target demographics. So one of the programs that I have been so keen to launch and I've been following since I moved to Milwaukee five years ago is the Build Moto program. And that's where we're targeting new riders. But it's also a chance for us to get back or to engage with the local community. And what Build Moto program is, is a STEM-based education, science, technology, engineering, and math. And I hope I didn't mess that up so it says something else, but it's STEM. <laughs> and there are... Local Milwaukee public schools that uh, have partnered with the program called Build and Royal Enfield has become the partner or the official partner for, for the next three years and where we donated 12 classic 500s to the schools where they have one or two mentors and a group of kids that take the motorcycle all the way apart, develop a design process, build a custom motorcycle into a flat tracker and then they race it. Um, there's multiple aspects throughout the process. It's the design process. It's the tearing it down. It's the struggles. It's teaching kids social skills, technical skills, you know, working in groups. It's also keeping kids, you know, Milwaukee's probably not one of the safest cities in the U.S. So it's, it's giving kids another activity that they don't have to go out and get themselves into trouble for. It's also introducing them to how cool motorcycles are and how easy it is to work on a motorcycle if you want to. Team building and all that stuff. So, we, about a month ago, we delivered all of our motorcycles. I delivered three or four of them because I want to see the kids and I want to see their interactions and see if they're really into it and to see if our investment is a is a good investment. And I don't always 
depend on hearsay. I like being very hands-on in all the projects that we do. So I was able to deliver a few of the motorcycles in our little marketing van and seeing the excitement on these kids' faces. And, you know, for years there, for the last nine years, they were working on old vintage Hondas and parts are hard to find for them. The motorcycles were often in bad condition you know, rust everywhere or a motor might have been blown. And this is the first time, you know, they've had the opportunity to work on brand new motorcycles and have parts availability and not have to scour the world to find parts for it. So it's really exciting to see. And all these kids meet together, you know, once or twice a week and they're really into it. And I, I follow all of them on social media and I'm really active with each one of the schools and the programs. And I've never seen them post as much as they have. And just knowing that, you know, a brand, it could have been probably any brand, is willing to want to be a part of this and to see these kids grow and see them grow from an education standpoint, but also introduce them to motorcycles. And hopefully they'll all become future riders. And something I always laugh about is I recently got engaged and there's a reason I'm telling the story. And my fiance was one of the first kids, and now he's not a kid, (laughs) thank God, as part of the Build Mentor Program. And to this day, he's still building motorcycles and that's what got him into riding motorcycles. So the program works. Let's capitalize on the parts that work and have OEM support. And hopefully down the road, you know, maybe tool companies will want to support it or somebody else to really get keep these kids engaged. My hope in five to ten years is that this will be a national program. It might be a huge chunk out of my budget, but I think there's an opportunity there. And this is, again, what we talked about earlier is why motorcycling and motorcycle racing maybe isn't so big in the U.S. is because we're not reaching that younger generation. And this might be one of the ways that we do that. I uh, just as you as you're talking, I was taking a look at uh, your Instagram page, and it was like it's a really good video with Melissa and Hawk in there, and, and a couple other ones in there. And um, whoever you're using for your photographer up in Canada is shooting some beautiful stuff up there. So actually, I got to give these guys a lot of props. We I use the same team uh, across um, North America, and there's a, uh, they're both based out of Texas. It's Brandon Lejoey for the photography, and Chad. Osborne for videography and they are brilliant. I've worked with them on multiple projects since the day we launched the Himalayan and I just love their aesthetic. I love the stuff that they capture. So I just keep on bringing them back. <laughs> but you're right. That video of Andrea at her shop is amazing. Yeah, it's that's it's quite good. So I like, yeah. I like what you're doing there. Well, and and that's another marketing initiative that you have for uh, trying to engage women riders. And not just women riders, but women in the whole spectrum of what we call motorcycling. Well, one, you have someone that's the head of marketing that is a female. So you always have to. <laughs> so on a selfish end, I want more female motorcyclists. And I am not even that. There are so many. Why aren't we showcasing them? And why aren't we, you know, engaging with them more? I have a... a a partner in work, his name is Adrian Sellers, and he's based out of the uh, UK Tech Center in Birmingham, uh, in the United Kingdom. And he developed this project in Europe called the Petrolites Build-Off. And he said, Bree, I really want you to do this in the US. I said, absolutely, but I'm just about to launch the Twins. Can we wait until I launch the Twins? And basically, he gave me the budget to be able to support this program. So to support giving the motorcycles, the parts, everything. And then he let me just manage and run it how I would like to. So the idea is to showcase four women that are in the world of motorcycling, but from completely different aspects. We have a professional motorcycle photographer. We have Melissa Paris, who I think both of you know is a professional road racer. Then we have 
Jillian, who's this sweet Minnesota girl that's a hospice nurse that races amateur flat track on the side, and she started racing two years ago. Then we have Andrea, who um, her and her partner run a DIY shop in Toronto, and I've never seen a woman get more into the mechanics of a motorcycle than Andrea does. And I also wanted to engage with Canada some more. We, we, Brie, marketing often has neglected Canada, and I want to change that. So I thought this would be a good project to start engaging with um, the, you know, the Canadians. And Toronto is a is a big spot for motorcycle registries um, in Canada. And Andrea was just perfect. We ended up meeting her when we launched the Twins in Canada back in June, and it was just a, a perfect relationship. And the idea is to showcase the struggles, the the great times, the collaboration between women. They have this group chat that they started and they share ideas and bounce things off each other. They have a friendly rivalry together where, they, you know, one person's, I'm going to beat you and my paint job's better. or I'm having a tough time on this weld. And it's really great to see. And people are a lot more engaged than I thought they would be. When I posted the videos and when we shared everything, the response that we've received on both the Build Moto program and the Build Train Race program is amazing. And I'm so glad to see the communities across the U.S. and Canada engaged in this. They're rooting for their local hero. They're wanting to help. They're offering, you know, anything that they can. They want to go by and see the unfinished builds in person. They want to know when the races are going to be. And it's just great to get more and more people excited about these great projects that are again targeting those five demographics that we think are super important within Royal Enfield. Are um, are you doing the Toronto Motorcycle Show and she rides later this month? Uh we are doing the Toronto Motorcycle Show and I will actually be there. That'll be the only trade show that I attend this year. <laughs> but we <laughs> Yeah, I, I might be up there for that. I everyone who knows who listens to the show, I I announce for the Canadian Superbike series. So I need to go up there and talk uh about twenty twenty season. So I might run into you up there. Yeah, well, I'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, we have a Canadian country manager, and he's been doing really good pushing me to do some more marketing initiatives there. I give him a lot of credit because, you know, Canada's a whole nother country. <laughs> it is. And then, and then you go to Quebec, and that's a whole nother country inside the country. So. Oh yeah, we did the, I think we did that trade show last year, and it was, it was a language problem for my team that I sent up there. None of them speak, uh, you know, Canadian French or. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, the French people say that that's not French. That's something else. So, yeah. um, but, but what I will say is, uh, for the Quebec, uh, market, not only is it pretty hardcore to motorcycles, but there is a really, really strong female contingent, um, uh, in, in Quebec. And in fact, back when the Canadian Superbike series used to have a, uh, women's class, I bet you, I think two thirds of them were, were from Quebec. So that's a, it's a pretty, pretty solid market up there. Oh, thanks. Just put an idea in my head. <laughs> and I think that is a, a cultural thing. As, as you said, that's a place where you still grow up riding dirt bikes as a kid with your family. You know, that, that's still something that's part of the culture up there. That's mainly because there are so many open areas that are, kind of inviting you out to do that that families still you know have snowmobiles in the winter time and dirt bikes in the summer and that it's kind of organic in that culture which i i'm a huge quebecoisophile <laughs> if that's a word so so I, if I, it's not it is now yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, actually, there's two female road racers from Canada that I really admire, and I'd love to figure out a project. Um, Amy Zokes and Misty yep. Hurst. Okay. I know, so, I know. Yeah, I know Amy really well. Uh, back from when she still lived in Calgary, and she and Jordan just started dating. So, yeah, Misty, I've met. I don't know her real well though. She's a based out of Vancouver, but I wanted to work with her on a project um, about a year ago, and it just didn't pan out. And something, if this build train race program takes off, something that I would like to do. So this year is flat track. So maybe next year we we have the girls build road race bikes, and maybe I enlist the help of Misty or Amy from the Canadian side and have one of them build a bike. And I think, you know, either one would be probably pretty excited about it. Yeah, no. And I can tell you that, um, you could sort of replicate what you're doing with, um, with Melissa and, and Hawk with, uh, Amy and Wolfie up there. So, uh, oh, yeah. same thing. Wolfie, Wolfie is, uh, so sorry. And I'm sure Bree, you know this, but, uh, so Jordan Zoke is 13 time national champion up in Canada and, holds pretty much every record in his wife. Um, they also have like a stunt show that they put on. And uh, so they do, they've got some trials riding and nothing like, but Wolfie is, I think he's five or six now, uh, but he rides like a little 50 CC. Yeah. yeah. And, and does, and starting to do like trial stuff uh, as part of the, as part of their show. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I follow Amy on Instagram one for the humor. Cause she's absolutely hilarious yes, and ridiculous. Yes, and she's such a proud mom. And she posted a picture of Wolfie the other day riding and her heart was just exploding. And I love that. And she's doing a great job at introducing motorcycling in whatever manner at a young age. Mm-hmm. How do we have every parent do that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. You are probably way too busy, especially if you are engaged in and dealing with all of that. But uh, is there anything that you are currently doing personally in your workshop or your garage or trips you're planning or anything that besides your professional capacity as a motorcyclist that uh, you're interested or into right now? So the running joke in the office is that my work is my life and that I work way too much and I make everyone else look bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I uh, I don't know how to turn it off. That's, I think, um, you know, right now, Peter, I'm on vacation in Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Uh, when, uh, my neighbors are getting married and instead of getting married at home in Milwaukee, they decided to bring us all down to Mexico. So I'm here on vacation. I travel a whole lot for work, but I also love traveling in my spare time. So I am on the road all the time, whether it's for work or personal life. My fiance is absolutely amazing and I pick on him all the time for it, but I also love it. I just, you have to pick on your fiance. So he has a studio and he builds custom motorcycles there all the time, but I want to start building motorcycles. I don't want him to build me one. So we picked up an old SX-175 Aramaki, and it's sitting in our den right now. And when we're home, the plan is to rebuild it over the winter and get it in some of the local uh, motorcycle shows. So the Brewtown Rumble, which Royal Enfield is the main sponsor for. But uh, I love tinkering and building motorcycles, but I love watching him because I learned so much, and there's so much to building a custom motorcycle. It's not just changing the paint it's how you know how high do you want the handlebars what you know what kind of fork rate ratio do you want what kind of tires are you going to chop the frame are you going to weld it back together there's so many aspects so i would say 95 percent of my life is is motorcycling whether it's personal or professional i do have um a 16 year old son he turns 17 next month 
He has been living with his dad for the last couple of years because work um, has kept me on the road. Hopefully, he'll graduate on time next year. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But yeah, outside of that, you know, I work on motorcycles when I'm not trying to sell motorcycles, or I go on motorcycle trips with my fiance, or in the last nine months, I think we've been to six or seven weddings. So we're using all our vacation time going to other people's weddings. <laughs> Not enough time to plan our own, but I'm hoping for a Halloween wedding this fall. Um, I've always wanted to get married in like the fall and just have the leaves and stuff. And I'm not a really big girly girl. So there will probably be some motorcycle aspects to the wedding. Halloween themed wedding? No, no. I just chose <laughs> Halloween because... That weekend, the leaves haven't turned brown yet in Wisconsin, and they're no. still like orange and gold and red. So it has no. <laughs> everyone has to come dressed as a vampire or werewolf. Okay. <laughs> um, so Pete, you got to get uh, Brienne to uh, to do an activation for SmackDab 2020. Oh, I hadn't even thought of bringing that up. Yeah, I I have been trying to get some uh, factory involvement in a ride that I started. Uh, this will be our sixth year, and it kind of started very organically and almost by accident. I manage, I guess, an annual event on the summer solstice, actually the Saturday closest to the summer solstice. There's a marker in extreme north-central Kansas in a little town called uh, Lebanon, Kansas. They have a stone obelisk that marks the center of the 48 contiguous lower states. And if you take Highway 281 straight north for 675 miles in Rugby, North Dakota, about 42 miles from the Canadian border, there is a similar stone obelisk that marks the center of the North American continent. And I have a good friend of mine that we used to live in the same city, and then he's in Colorado and I'm in Missouri and every couple of years we take a trip together. And I said to him and my wife, I said, let's all take our bikes. Let's meet at that monument in Kansas and we'll try to get between those two monuments between dawn and dusk. And, uh, I happened to mention it on the ADV rider web forum and a dozen other people joined us the first year and it's grown from there. So now we have about a hundred people a year that sign up and do this ride and it's 675 miles in 16 hours. So it's two-thirds of a saddle sore 1,000 in two-thirds of the time. And I was very excited that I had hooked up with somebody from uh, that was in marketing with Polaris. And they were going to bring a whole semi-trailer down of all the new uh, bikes when they first came out with their electronics package and kind of their infotainment screen. They really wanted to promote that, and they thought, this is perfect because you're just riding across the plains. It'll give journalists a great opportunity to see how comfortable the bikes are and have a chance to play with the infotainment when they're out just cruising on a two-lane. This is great. And they were starting to line up journalists that were going to come do this, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a great promotion. And then they went dark, and I couldn't figure out why, and that was kind of heartbreaking. But, yeah, that's what I personally uh, – have been promoting the last six years. Well, you, ha if you have something in mind and you want Royal Enfield to be involved in whether it's a bike or 15 bikes or something, just keep in touch with me. I love stuff like that. The whole idea behind this was everybody says you're going to ride through Nebraska and the Dakotas. <laughs> oh my goodness. This has got to be the most boring thing in the world. 
absolutely everybody who does the ride says, you know, I've never been up in that part of the country, and this was a really cool ride. It was really fun, and I want to do it again. And also, I have really fallen in love with the people of the towns around where this starts. They have just made it their own, throw a big barbecue the night before for all the riders. They make them koozie cups and and bandanas and stuff. I love that. That's awesome. They wake up and they come out at five in the morning with coffee and juice and homemade cinnamon rolls and trail mix for everybody at the start point just to say thanks for coming to our community. And there are so many little towns that are really cool that nobody ever goes to. And I personally think some of those incredible vistas of just dances with wolves, giant sky and giant land and all the space up there, people don't appreciate the size of this country until no, they, don't. <laughs> they have an opportunity to cross it. And you can go, yeah, yeah, I know it's big. And so many people go, I had no idea just how amazingly large the scale of everything is until you ride through it. So uh, I would love to get some people who are maybe not from this part of the country that consider the Midwest flyover and bring them out. Or uh, my ultimate fantasy is I would love to have some people from the UK whose perception of space is <laughs> totally different from ours. <laughs> And I'd like to get some journalists or some people from the UK, plop them on a bike in the middle of Kansas and go, okay, that road, go 645 miles north and then turn left and just give them that environment and then find out what their impressions are when they get to see that, uh, you know, those kinds of vistas. So I have that battle with some of our other regions, you know, in the UK when they're developing motorcycles, product strategy and product development and industrial design are based out of the UK. And I think it's important for them to come over and ride our roads and understand just exactly what you said, because, you know, England's such a small little country and they have no idea how long and vast and crazy our roads are. And you've got, like you said, 675 miles of just a straight road or crazy winds and, you know, or India when they're like, hey, why can't you sell a certain size motorcycle there? I'm like, you have to come and ride our roads. You have to live it and understand it to be able to see why the 650, you know, this is during conversations during the 650, is needed for the bigger markets, for the U.S. market, because we have bigger roads, the highway speeds and everything like that. And it's just sometimes you're on a straight line for two, 300 miles and you need something. So I love that you just said that. And if, you know, if you want Royal Enfield or if you just want us to invite some people, but, you know, having the guy from that leads product strategy, Mark Wells, come over, he'd be more than willing to take you up on that and do this ride. And he loves it. You know, you said the small town community thing is what, what do we do to give back to that community? You know, letting them host everybody there. So they do everything for the riders. But is there a way that we can give back to them? We can have all the riders, you know, come and make sure that, you know, the night, day before we pick up all the trash on their streets or do, you know, some kind of charitable association to give back to that community. You know, it's not just the people doing the rides, getting the free coffee and the donuts and the send off is. How can we, do we donate, you know, does a brand or does somebody collect donations and donate back to them? So that's a, that's a great, great point and a great way to look at it. Uh, looking forward through 2020 and then 2021 for you, uh, Bree, is it uh, just uh, 
kind of doubling down on what you guys have been doing with Royal Enfield to get the, the message out and doing different uh, activations throughout the country to uh, increase the profile? Oh, boy. 2020 and 2021 are going to be a crazy year if it hasn't already been crazy the last five. We have new products coming out. I can't tell you what those are yet, but we have hopefully two new products to launch in 2020 and then two more in 2021. So it's going to be really busy doing product launches, but it's again, how do we get the brand in front of people and get them to understand the brand? So continue some of the really cool projects that we're working on now, but also launch a few others and to start offering rides and experiences, you know, whether you're a customer or not. So say you're you're really into motorcycling, but you just don't want the cost of, you know, and again, for Royal Enfields, it's a low cost of, of, of a buy-in. But people that just want to be able to run an experience, and how do we provide those experience for licensed motorcyclists? Uh, do we do a three- or four-day camp and tour? Do we do, do we sponsor rides like Peter's doing? Do we, you know, just get, you know, drop off 10 bikes and say, Peter, choose 10 riders to ride the Royal Enfields? And not only do that, but do that as a, customer market research, you know, let's have these 10 customers ride and fill out surveys and give us feedback. You know, are these the right products? Are these the products being rode in the right places? So 2021, lots of cool things coming product launches. Um, I do all the product launches and plan all the product launches for North America, actually the Americas. Uh, so that's going to take up a large chunk of my time, but also managing all these other projects. And I have a really big announcement to make, the last week of February. So you guys should stay tuned on that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Another project that I'm managing that I'm really excited on. It's going to be the busiest year yet. And I know I say that every year, but it's true in every case. It kind of has. I mean, you've gone from strength to strength, starting with the Himalayan, the Himalayan. Um, <laughs> However you want to say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you really kind of have stepped it up. And I didn't realize that you were still rolling out your existing bikes in different markets around the Americas. You know, you said they're, they're not available in Mexico yet and everything. How much of your attention is outside the United States and Canada right now? So, <laughs> I would say 50-50. I still have – North America is a huge market for – not for sales because obviously India and Brazil – in Thailand and Indonesia have larger motorcycle sales. But in terms of brand awareness, uh, North America is still the biggest player in the world. People look at North America. So I can't neglect, you know, U.S. and Canada at all because if I neglect it there, you'll see a trickle effect everywhere else. Well, and also people in North America have the money. They absolutely do. Um, and it's a good place to test all these programs that we're doing. So if Build Moto program becomes successful in Wisconsin and then I grow it, you know, to the Midwest or to nationally or the five, 10 years during that time. Can I do that in Brazil? You know, keeping those kids and getting those kids out of the slums and, you know, all the projects and the charitable projects that we can do uh, in Brazil are just crazy. We just launched a graffiti project in Colombia and people are like, graffiti, you're crazy. No, in Colombia is pretty much the birthplace of graffiti. And my first couple of visits there, I saw all this beautiful artwork on the walls and it wasn't like the gangster script or anything. It was beautiful pieces of art. And so I started researching and I found out that the government and the communities welcome these graffiti artists. So we just launched a graffiti project in the city of Medellin to rehab an area that is a very historical area, but that's seen some hard times. 
So when I hired our marketing manager down there, I said, hey, one of the first things I want you to do is to do a graffiti project and list a graffiti artist from that neighborhood, have them paint a Royal Enfield, but in a beautiful color, the colors that are of the city and the neighborhood and have a place that, you know, people can look at something pretty instead of, you know, a building crumbling or something like that. And we just got the video and it turned out absolutely amazing. But 50% of my time will definitely stay focused on North America and Canada and the other 50 I'll split between the South and Central America. Let me, uh, let me throw an idea out at you, uh, to sort of just plant the seed in the back of your mind. And if you want to take a peek, they're not doing this on their Instagram, but you can kind of get an idea where I'm coming from. Uh, there's a, the, the account is called Hidden Inscriptions. Um, mm-hmm exactly how it is and it's basically it's like graffiti and street art it with in and around detroit where i where i live um but i'm thinking like especially as you're talking about in columbia have that and then just strategically place royal enfields in front of it you know with some, with some really cool stuff so um but you can see kind of the kind of the style they're doing here and then you know maybe use that as inspiration for what you do down there yeah or maybe we i mean again all the projects that we do or we come up with you know in in on my team is stuff that we would like to see spread across not just the americas but india might take note of it and you know europe might and these could all be global programs that we support globally and not just regionally so the graffiti project is taking you know bad areas in detroit and columbia and brazil and you know, in Toronto and start a global graffiti project to help bring bad neighborhoods out of the gloom. Do you find that the individual markets that you're dealing with around the Americas have their own idiosyncrasies as far as how you need to market to them? Because I I had no idea that there was a graffiti culture that was specific to Colombia. As you go into these places, you kind of have to feel your way about what works locally. Absolutely. I spend a lot of time in each one of these places learning about the country and then the neighborhoods and the communities and what motorcycling is or isn't. And, you know, sometimes there's something that we do here and maybe it's a campaign, maybe it's an ad campaign that would no way, shape or form speak to the people of Colombia or speak to the people of Mexico. And each country, the way that the people ride the motorcycles or the reason why they rode motor- ride motorcycles is different. So just even going there and sitting with customers and seeing why they do the things they do or the things that they're interested in, yes. But there are things that can be global initiatives, like the Build Moto program and the graffiti project. But I was really shocked to find out how big graffiti was and how welcomed it was. In I, I already started following them. The minute you said it, I started following them. <laughs> <Eric>. <laughs> I'm on their page right now, but, um, yes. So you might have to tweak a program here or there to make it work in a, in a different market, but there are things that are very market specific. You are absolutely correct. And you have to pay attention to that. I can't launch a campaign in India or Colombia that was shot in India because they don't have the snowy mountains. They don't have, you know, the crazy Himalayas. So a campaign that's shot in India is not going to work in Colombia. And that's some of the things that we've been working on with the, you know, our internal uh, stakeholders is understanding that when we develop content, when we develop programs that has to speak for whatever region, we just can't use something because global headquarters, you know, launched a project. We have to figure out if it's going to work in the market. If it's not, how can we tweak it to make it work in the market? Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. I'm sorry. I've had a lot of 
there's this energy drink down here that's a healthy energy drink. So I think it, I feel like it's kicking in now. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to follow up or follow you on social media, how can they get more information or keep track of either Enfield, Build Moto, Build Train Race, you personally? What do you want to put out there as far as ways that people can stay involved in what you're doing? So as a brand, we are active on all social media platforms. We're really just starting to build up our YouTube channel, which is Royal Enfield North America, and we host a lot of good content. Most of it's by the videographer from the Toronto shoot. Uh, everything is Royal Enfield North America. Um, on Instagram, it's Royal Enfield underscore N-A. Uh, on Facebook, it's Royal Enfield North America. Um, if people want to follow my cr- personal crazy life, which is all motorcycles and travel and ooey-gooey love for my fiancé, uh, I have an Instagram profile. It's Bree Toshki, B-R-E-E-T-A-S-H-S-K-I. Don't ask me how I came up with that name. <laughs> my feed is filled usually with motorcycles or travel or, again, pictures of me being lovely to my fiancé. Yeah. And if anyone ever has any inquiries or has a really cool project in mind, I love it. I don't know everything. And I love getting feedback from people. And I love hearing, you know, ideas that people have, just like the ride that you talked about, you know, from Kansas to the Dakotas. Man, that'd be something cool. Even if it's just us loaning five bikes or us figuring out a way to get back to the community and thank them, even if no one's on a Royal Enfield. You know, it's all about being inclusive or it's all about being, you know, welcoming everybody. I don't care if they ride another brand. It is The motorcycle industry is failing, and we need to stop working against each other and work together. So if there's something that Royal Enfield can be a part of, even if there's no Royal Enfield present, I'm not opposed to that. I think it's important that we all work together. So that's it. Excellent. I, I very much have enjoyed what I think has been one of the most interesting conversations we've had on this podcast for a while. So Thank you for waking up early on your vacation day, and you are welcome back. If there are anything else that you want to talk about, uh, feel free to come back on the podcast if you've got other things you want to share with us. It's hard to get me to stop talking, so <laughs> and I had a good time with you guys. It wasn't a bad way to wake up, sure. Well, good, good. Much appreciated. Yeah. I'll send you a link when this goes live so that you can pass it along to somebody you want to hear it or listen to your own voice and cringe, which is what I always do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do both. I'll send it out. You know, my dad, I think, is my biggest supporter. So anytime I do something like this, he's the first person that needs to know. And then he has to share it with his, you know, his brothers, his uncles, his nieces, nephews. <laughs> Excellent. That's the best way. Yeah. Uh, To all of our listeners, I'll say thanks for taking the time. Eric, as always, thanks for taking time to host this with me. I've got some workshop updates. I know Garrett, I'm sure, has done some stuff in his workshop, so we'll get updates on his project bikes next month, and we'll see you all in April. So long.